Welcome back to MediHealth Podcast Special Season Episode 8. In the last episode, we learned about how Professor Clemens transitioned from history to filmmaking. In this episode, we will continue to learn how can we address public health issues with filmmaking. Again, I will be your host today. And I was wondering, because the U.S. might have painted this whole history differently from how the Vietnam has painted it. So was there any challenges when you were doing such documentary to actually frame the right story for people who are watching the documentary? Yeah, for me, it, it really is a question of just narratives. Uh, I mean, history is not an actual portrayal of everything that happened. Uh, even if you look at maybe how it might be taught of, this is a good source, it's a firsthand document. Uh, I mean, people can always lie in any documents that they make. And there is this desire to kind of paint a pretty picture of history and legacy, especially when it comes to foreign policy. And that's especially the case in the US. This is actually one reason I that really drew me to want to work at a place like DKU is to know that there'd be people from all these different international backgrounds that would be able to challenge each other's conceptions of what their country was all about. And I, I think that's really a healthy thing that we have Chinese students having the official narratives of history questioned that they've received their whole lives. Uh, I know the American students are as well. And uh, you're from Thailand, is that right, Martha? I'm from Malaysia, next to Thailand. Okay, yeah, sorry. We actually talked about that before, I remember now. But, you know, hopefully some of these ideas that we have about our nation are, you know, somewhat questioned when we're in this international context. So I don't know about getting the story right. I mean, you're never going to get the story right by everybody. Uh, You're probably going to offend some people. But I, I do try to think about, you know, what, what is the point of teaching history? Is it just to purely get people to pay their taxes and continue to go with the status quo and the power structures that exist in a country? Or are you more so trying to maybe challenge some of the negative things that have really happened, bring them to the surface? And I'd say in American history, that's more, I have a better understanding of that than I say do Chinese history or Malaysian history or Turkish history. But, you know, I, I, I think that that's a healthier approach. That's kind of what I try to do. And in my work, it's really teamed me up with some remarkable individuals that I've met. I made a film about the normalization process that took place between Vietnam and the United States of America. And just like North Korea today, U.S. didn't even acknowledge the existence of Vietnam. And that wasn't that Vietnam didn't want to have di- diplomatic relations or trade relations with the United States of America. It's that the U.S. didn't even recognize it as a country, didn't even talk to the people. And the first people who kind of started to change that were American veterans of the Vietnam War who were going back. They were going back as early as during the war. Uh, Some of my friends were part of this organization called Vietnam Veterans Against the War. And one of my friends was in Vietnam during the Christmas bombing of Hanoi, which was one of the largest bombings of Hanoi. And he happened to be doing a peace mission trip back to Vietnam, even though he had never been to Hanoi. I don't know how much you guys know about the American war in Vietnam. Uh, but the country, for whatever reasons, was split into North and South. And the U.S. had aligned itself with that, the South, or it, I would argue that the South was actually a puppet state of the United States of America during that time. And they were completely funded by the U.S. government. But nevertheless, my friend was in Hanoi during that event. And you know, just hearing his portrayal of seeing what happened there, 
and he introduced me to a lot of other people who were also part of this organization called Vietnam Veterans Against War, some of who took up arms against the U.S. government when they were in Vietnam itself, and definitely when they came back. One of my close friends today, he uh, actually fought at Wounded Knee in 1978, I believe it was. So he literally took up arms against the U.S. government and was fighting against them. And then, you know, I, I think some of my background in history really helped me there as far as validating his story to see if it was, you know, some of the things that I was hearing were really unbelievable. And these were the kinds of stories that I kind of wanted people to hear, these things that nobody had ever heard about. Uh, and I was able to verify these stories. The, the one case of the guy who went to North Vietnam during the Christmas bombings of Hanoi, that was really easy to verify through newspaper clippings. He had documented his trip quite well with photography. But my other friend who was fighting in Dakota in at Wounded Knee, I was able to get a Freedom Information Act request which enabled me to get access to his FBI background check. The FBI had been following him closely since his involvement in Vietnam. And that enabled me to, you know, just kind of verify and see how correct his unbelievable story was. And I was able to, you know, through this understanding of how archives work and my access to information and how to get that information became really important. So I, I think my undergraduate degree did serve me a lot of help in knowing how to navigate these kind of areas. Because you don't really want to be making a story and not know somebody's lying to you. But luckily, I've only had really one person who was dishonest in that process. And I, could, I figured that out through a freedom of information background request. So, yeah, for the most part, I've been able to deal with fairly honest people. So, I don't know. Getting the story right just means, you know, how do I want to portray something? And I, I think anybody who's telling you they're treating something objectively, I think that right there should start to have you question what they're doing because they know how to edit film and they know how they can change somebody's story. So, you know, I've never really had too many problems once I've gotten permission from people to film because I'm very honest with my intentionality of what I'm trying to do, even though a lot of the story is still being discovered as I'm making it. Well, thank you for telling us and about how narrative can be changed with, you know, just some editing and the parts you want to tell, parts you don't want to tell. So my next question was, how can we use experimental art to address current healthcare issues? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I, I actually had one project in mind that I haven't actually been able to follow through on because of the pandemic as well. One of my good friends that I grew up with, I, I come from a really rural area. So I think this interest in like the project in Mexico, for example, and my interest in forestry really comes from growing up in a really rural area that's mostly forest. Uh, my hometown's got about 3,000 people. But when I was born, it had 5,000 people. And the main industry was logging. And one reason I left when I was so young was the meth epidemic. It really kind of come into that community logging it kind of dried up everyone had lost their jobs and I remember seeing a couple of kids I didn't know at the time what it was but in the bathroom they were they were smoking out of they were smoking out of a, a crack pipe uh, but anyways I, what I was saying is the you know meth epidemic had kind of hit there really hard and you know a lot of my friends were were getting into drugs and I just didn't really feel like this was something that I wanted to do and be a part of so I, I left at quite an early age but I, I still have some of my best friends definitely from this community that I come to, that I, that I come from, sorry. And 
uh, one of my best friends, for example, I was there his daughter, the day his daughter was born. And uh, all the time I go back, I spend a lot of time with him. We message each other regularly. He's got a job where he's been working on the opioid epidemic and particularly how that has affected rural communities. And uh, he went to UC Berkeley. He got a degree in art history. I actually think he would be an interesting person for you guys to maybe interview for one of the podcasts. He's open to it. We've discussed it before, but he's even met with a U.S. general surgeon for some of the ways that they've been trying to fight against the pandemic. Basically, he, he goes to conferences all over the U.S. and looks at ways to, you know, w- what can we do to kind of try to end this, epi- this opioid epidemic in the U.S.? And he strongly believes that narratives is the way to do that. And he hears a lot of compelling stories from individuals who have uh, suffered from opioid use, including people in his own family. So I wanted to do a photo project just to kind of give a different perspective. I think a lot of people sometimes forget that there's really larger reasons as to why somebody gets involved in these kinds of drug use. It's not just purely because they want to have a good time, but these kinds of things come into communities and even in the area that I work in, in Mexico. I mean, I see a lot of drug use that goes on there and uh, it tends to come with a lot of really violent crime as well. So I think, you know, just giving a different face to an image to what it means to have an addiction to something, uh, whether that be methamphetamines or heroin, I I think that that can be quite moving. Uh, I've seen some really good photo essays. Uh, My friend and I were working on an animation piece based off of somebody's testimony. Uh, And then I was also going to do a variety of photo essays and a film project, but all of that has been halted. So I don't know, I think sometimes with experimental work, it depends. If you do a more traditional line of work that, yeah, you're, you're showing a different side of these epidemics. I think, I think that can be real productive on a large scale, but sometimes when you get too experimental, I I find, you know, I I always want to not paint, the picture as much as this is exactly what happens, but more so leave this room for questioning. And sometimes I go back and forth with that in my mind of how experimental do you want to be in your approach? Are you just talking to people who are into experimental arts? Or do you want your art to also emotional, put something, maybe something that we can intellectually understand, but being able to put an emotion into that, I think is the best way to bring about change. So, you know, it's kind of a, a line that you have to figure out how much do you want to be stating something exactly or how much do you want to draw questioning out of something and i I think that's difficult work to always be producing stuff that can leave people with the impression that you want to but still be open enough to be having them ask questions at the end of it so I, i guess that's how i mean i don't know how all health issues would be related i mean meanwhile in the u.s COVID is still there's still a lot of problems with it there's a lot of people who don't want to get vaccinations you know, I wouldn't know how to, you know, maybe you can try to do something that would help with that, uh, help curb the way that we look at opioid use to maybe try to get people access to clean needles, or get access to medical care that will help them maybe get over opioid use. But, you know, it's hard going. But uh, I, I find it meaningful to try. Okay, thank you for answering. 
I I like the part that you find it meaningful to try, although it is hard, uh, because now it actually ties back to our last question, which I'm about to ask, which is about human feelings and the narrative that we have been talking about for a while now. How can visual media or experimental media reflect the human condition and the unsaid feelings, the unsaid narrative the best? We talked about looking at things from different perspectives and changing narrative in accordance with what you want to tell. But what about the things that are left unsaid? How do you think the visual media gives us a upper hand in telling these stories, which are, I would say, sort of intrinsic, not often vocalized? For me, my medium is I, I use you know, time-based mediums such as photography and video work. And with video work, I find it, they're both difficult. And you know, like, especially with photography, there's going to be, it's really hard to tell a story just using photos and if you make a photo book you know who, who's really reading the text probably not that many people and then with video work you also have that audio component i, I tend to work mostly in video but i i, I like i like both I, I don't really look at it so much as i'm necessarily doing art as maybe sometimes doing a craft and it really takes understanding how to use a camera and how to use a microphone to be able to generate the kind of imagery that you want somebody to really you're trying to evoke feelings is what I'm trying to do. And the more experience you have with using a camera, paying attention to the way that light might change somebody's feelings when they look at a moving image or a still image. Th that part took a while to get good at. But once you do that, that's only kind of half of the battle. The next part is really editing something together and making a sequence that can be coherent, but still leaving these open questions. You know, that just takes a lot of work every single project. I don't know if it really ever gets easier for me. I think each project has its own sets of problems. Some things move a lot quicker for me than other stuff. Yeah, I think it's just an individual project basis. I think looking at a lot of other people's work helps me a lot. How do people portray something? How are people using light? It doesn't even have to be related to the story that I'm making, but just maybe the way that something makes me feel. And then I, I just try to go off of that. I don't know. Thank you so much for sharing with us. It, it just left me like so much food for thought, like from learning, thinking more about Vietnam history, like the issues Mexico is facing, and even to learning how to design, framing a piece of art, giving audience more opening, leaving them to more opening questions, or even learning to observe from the different artists around us. I believe the undergraduates who are listening or other students while listening to this will also learn a lot from this whole process. Maybe there's one more thing I would like to add, actually, since you mentioned that. And I think it would be maybe that process of, you know, creating a space to talk about something. I, I think that's really important. For example, even if I do readings, you know, I, I think that what we do at DKU in the humanities has a lot of merit to it. You can read something and you might have an understanding of it, your own understanding. But then once you hear other people talk about how they felt about something, piece of reading or a film that you just watched and being able to have that conversation. So I think creating that space for conversation is really important. And I know it's been kind of difficult, probably especially for those of you abroad to maybe feel part of that community and come together a lot. But I, I think that that's really, to me, what's been missing during this pandemic. I think that's what makes work even more impactful is to be able to have a conversation afterwards, whether that's you're there as the artist with people or people are having those conversations without you present. I think it's still important. So just creating a space to talk about things.
is also something that I try to do, not only with my work, but other people's work as well. Yeah, I think that's why we have this podcast to create a space for everyone to even share the story and insights. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I definitely agree. I definitely agree with everything you just said. Uh, I think we should be opening up more spaces so that people can, first of all, uh, introduce their own narratives, their own perspectives. This episode is hosted by Eki Khan Zuman and Marita Tan. Her audio is edited by Cheng Hang Xue and Yu Xuan Leng. Audios are uploaded by Chu Tong Fang. Graphics are designed by Tanishi Culture. Articles are written by Anna McCain and Gloria Gunn. Articles are translated by Yu Guo, while the newsletter is designed by Jason Duan. Social media publicity by Yu He Jin. Secretarial contributions by Mei Chin Yap. Thank you to Professor Mark Speller and our advisor. Um, and thank you to Ms. Chan Swimming, our strategic communications trainer. Opening music produced by Ch- Chong Yi Huan. A huge thanks to Professor Clements. Also, thank you to DQ Health Humanity Labs who sponsored this podcast. We hope to see you soon. Take the voices.